0: The Indigenous Connection Show. Dance. My name is Randy Lynn, and I'm the host for the Indigenous Connections Radio Show. Join me as we discuss various topics in regards to First Nations culture, arts, ideologies, and spirituality, from both a historical and contemporary point of view. Dance. Randy Lynn Ntzingusun. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Indigenous Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn Nanamhu candeline A little bit about myself: I'm the eldest of three children. My family originates from the Big Stone Cree Nation, Treaty 8 Territory, and I spent most of my life growing up in Lac La Bish, Alberta. I moved away for a little bit to obtain my indigenous social work degree as well as my aboriginal mental health diploma. I was doing that in Saskatchewan I recently moved back to Alberta. Um, So I consider myself to be very fortunate given the fact that I was raised around my culture and that I could pursue an education with a background in my culture and now today I do a lot of cultural work, I do a lot of presentations, I do a lot of um, workshops, I teach powa dancing, I teach beating, I do a lot of different things in regards to my culture. So I'm really honored to have this opportunity each week to share with you on indigenous culture. So each week we will be discussing various topics in regards to First Nations culture, which includes such things as art, history, ideologies, and spirituality, both from a historical and contemporary point of view. Um, I feel many people get caught up in this idea that indigenous people, our ways of being, are situated in the past. Um, Yes, we highly depend on the traditions, the way our people lived before, but we are still a contemporary society and we are still evolving and our culture evolves with the times as well and you can see this in a lot of modern indigenous artisans Uh, they're very contemporary they utilize resources of today they utilize style of today pop culture of today and they kind of combine that with our indigenous culture but anywho uh, by having these conversations with you guys every week it's my hope that we start to create a dialogue and start to break down stereotypes and misunderstandings between the indigenous and non-indigenous communities. Uh, I know even in my experiences growing up, going to public school, uh, now that I'm older, I realize how much misinformation was taught to me by my teachers, and I'm not gonna blame them, but it just really helped me understand how much information about indigenous people is not there or is being misinterpreted, or isn't really understood correctly. So that is what my hope is with having this show, is to kind of help make those connections and hopefully start to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation. So reconciliation is a term that was utilized in regards to the residential school era uh, in mending the relationship that Indigenous people, Indigenous communities, Indigenous leaders have with the rest of Canada. So I know that's a big thing, (laughs) but today's topic will be indigenous womanhood, uh, indigenous motherhood, and then we're gonna kind of branch off into the missing and murdered indigenous women, girls epidemic that we experience here in Canada. So stay tuned for that. The Indigenous Connection Show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections radio show. I'm your host Randy Lynn, and today's topic is in regards to Indigenous womanhood, Indigenous motherhood, as well as branching off into the missing and murdered Indigenous woman epidemic that we face here in Canada, as well into the United States. I wanted to call this episode "Okamau uh, Isqueo," so that means um, boss lady. Okamau uh, is chief leader isqueo is woman. So that's in Cree. So we're going to call this episode Okama isqueo, but the topics will be womanhood, motherhood, as well as missing murdered indigenous women. Um, So the reason why I decided to kind of combine those two topics was because I've been seeing a common message on social media, especially in regards to Black History Month in February, where they're talking about if we're going to talk teach about slavery and the hardship of the African communities as a society, don't forget to talk about their successes. Don't forget to talk about the beauty of the culture as well. So that's what I want to do in regards to talking about Indigenous women. Talk about the beauty, the power, the strength of our Indigenous women, of women in general, and then kind of branch off into what is happening to our women. Um, Indigenous women are, are very highly targeted to be victims of violent crimes, unfortunately, but we'll get into those statistics later on. So let's be, start at the beginning. Traditionally, everyone in the society, in the tribe, had a role to play. Everyone knew what their role was. So the elders were the knowledge keepers. They passed down their language through verbal storytelling. We, re- we identified as h- oral historians, meaning that we didn't document our history. Rather, these teachings were passed down through stories, uh, through teachings, through metaphors, etc. So it was the responsibility of the elders to teach their knowledge that they have obtained through a lifetime of experience and pass that on to the younger generations. Our children, our young ones, our youth, Their responsibility was pretty much to just soak up everything they can, to learn as much as they can, to explore the world around them. Um, We considered our children very sacred. We still consider them very sacred, as they are considered the key to the future. They are our most important resource. It's what we teach them today is what they're gonna teach the future generations, right? So if we want cultures, languages, practices, ideology, schools of thought, et cetera, et cetera, to live on through the generations, then it's on us to teach them that, right? And then the women, it was their responsibility to take care of their children, to take care of the home, to kind of stay closer to the village, to the tribe, um, to prepare the meals, to take care of those kind of ordeals. And then it was the men. It was a man's highest calling to protect all of that, to protect the women, to protect the children, to protect the elders, to protect their home, their lo- loved ones, and their community. Um, so knowing that, men would place themselves in front of the danger between the children, the elders, the women. They would place themselves in front if danger was near. The men would leave the community. They would leave the home as it was unsafe to do this. So that is why the men chose to do this. They would go do the hunting. They would go to battle if they needed to. Um, This was their highest calling. And it's not to say men were expendable, but it was just, there was an understanding that women had such an important job to do that the men would gladly sacrifice their lives to protect the women and understanding the roles of the children and elder would gladly lay down their lives to protect those, right? And in the way society operated, um, there wasn't a whose role is better. Rather, the jobs of each person needed to be done. And therefore, they brought a balance to one another that the men would take care of this, the women would take care of this, the elders would do this, and the children would do this. And they all balanced each other out. So again, one wasn't important than the other, but regardless, we operated as a matriarch society, meaning everyone understood the value, the importance of women and their gifts that they had. Um, So I'm going to kind of branch off into a side story. So, back in my time in Saskatchewan, I was working at this really amazing, awesome place that I totally love and I totally recommend checking out if you ever have the chance, if you're in Saskatoon, check out Wanuskewin Heritage Park. Uh, It's my favorite place in the world. Anywho, so part of our training while I was working there was that we would have to listen to stories of elders sharing their history. And one of those elders was Mr. Sai Standing of the Wapaton Dakota people. And he shared with us some bison teachings. And he went on to, to share with us that the people of the Plains mimicked their lives around the way the bison lived. And bison were really the staple of the society. They were, our, were the people's um, currency, if you will. They were the economy. So bison played such a huge, huge, important role. Maybe we'll have a conversation about that at another time. But bison played such an important role in the lives of the Plains people. And what Elder Standing taught us was that the people learned from the bison and how they operated in their own societies, in their own herds. And anyone who has done... Any type of land-based teaching or learning from a historical perspective has this understanding that nature has always been the people's first teacher. Uh, For example, people watch birds. I know this sounds kind of gory. Okay, people watch birds impale insects on chokecherry trees. And this is how the people learned the usefulness of the chokecherry tree and started utilizing that material to make spears and fishing hooks and pins because they watched the birds literally impale their food onto the twigs. (laughs) Uh, Fun stuff. Anywho. So the bison taught the people how to operate. Um, Bison operate in a matriarch society as well. Uh, There is an alpha female. And often the males kind of went off and did their own thing and the females had their own herd. And the little ones stayed with the females. So, Elder Standing explained to us that this is where the people of the Plains learned to hold women in very high respect and to design their own societies around that matriarch system. And realizing how important the relationship of child-rearing practices of women are. So that's just an example of the Plains people. but. In reality, many, 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 many indigenous tribes, not just here in Canada, United States, Turtle Island, but on a global scale, uh, many indigenous tribes recognize themselves as a matriarch society. And this idea of placing women on top in high esteem is kind of opposite of what the Western world ideologies are, that they often operate in the patriarch system, the patriarchy. So, right there, you can kind of see some confliction. But, anywho, we'll take a quick break, and we will continue our conversation after this. The Indigenous Connection Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Indigenous Connections Radio Show. Today, we are talking about Indigenous womanhood, Indigenous motherhood, as well as branching off into the missing, murdered Indigenous women's epidemic. Uh, I decided to call this episode... Okamasqueo, meaning boss lady. So, continuing forward, let's talk about how women were viewed traditionally, and how we are trying to reclaim those teachings. So, traditionally, women are supposed to be held in high esteem because they were the ones chosen by the Great Spirit, by Creator, by God, however you want to identify that. In Cree, we refer to that Great Spirit, that Creator God, as Kitchi Manitou. Um, so these women were chosen by Kichi Manitou to bear children. And I'm just going to throw some random facts at you while we're on the topic. So that word Manitou, it actually means spirit, great spirit. So Manitoba was actually named after this word, after the word Manituabi, which translates into where the Great Spirit sits. So, many names that we identify here in Canada were actually originated from indigenous words. So, Manitou Abbey, Manitoba. Anyways, okay, back to what we we're talking about. So, women were the gender given the ability to literally navigate a spirit from the spirit world into this physical realm. And because of this, women are considered to be the givers of life. Um, And I just want to kind of make a side note that women are the givers of life if they choose to be. Okay, and reality is we all came from a woman, right? We are all here because of a woman. I'm sure maybe some of you heard growing up your mom scolding you and telling you, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. I personally never heard that, but I've heard many stories. Anywho, um, so our existence as a species relies on the existence sorry, existence of women. And therefore we need them. And we need to respect and honor them. And I think of the story of the bison and how the reality that they were close to um, being wiped completely out. And there's many contributing factors to why the bison herd diminished in such great numbers. But one reason was because the women the females of the bison herds were being slaughtered in large, large numbers. And because they were being slaughtered in such high numbers at such an alarming rate, they couldn't reproduce, they couldn't mate, they couldn't bear children to repopulate the next generation, right? So biologically, we understand how important women are just for our simple existence as a species. So so with women being... Uh, life givers. Let's explore teachings on pregnancy and how these teachings were embedded into day-to-day life for the people of the plains traditionally. So I know we discussed this teaching a few times in past discussions but that's okay. Again, we are an oral society. We pass down our teachings by constantly repeating our stories until they're kinda embedded in our brains. So and this is also a good example of how all the conversations we ha- are having are interconnected. How when we talk about one thing, it links into a whole other pool of things, right? Okay, so our mothers are understood to be our first homes. As after conception, this is where we first physically begin to exist, right? Inside our mother's womb. And womb and Crete is Miss Paiao. Um, we are not only developing and growing in the room in the womb but we are also having our first experiences inside the womb we feel safe and we feel protected we feel connected and we start to build relationships with our loved ones as we can already hear their voices uh, and most importantly i think this is a really beautiful teaching is we don't know any negative emotions yet we don't know about frustration fear anxiety sadness anger all of that we don't Have any kind of influence or experiences with it. Rather, the only um, emotion we understand, the only emotion we experience and feel is love. And what a state of bliss that must be to just only understand love, right? So, establishing the fact that our mothers are our first homes, this teaching was also embedded into the style of the homes the Plains people used. which were the teepees, which teepee is a uh, Dakota word. In Cree, we call it migiwa. So a teepee, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you are familiar. If you're not, that's okay. So what teepees are, are they're cylinder-based uh, frames, and then they would take, shave down poles of trees. They would use either tamarack trees or lodgepole pine, and they would kind of put these trees They would space them out at the bottom and then connect them at the top so that it kind of pointed out like a pyramid at the top. And then they would take sinew rope and wrap it around the top. And then that would build the frame of the teepee. And then around these wood stakes, these wood uh, logs, these wood poles, they would wrap a skirt around the poles. So the skirts of the teepees, the shelters, the migiwops, were originally uh, covered with bison hides sewn together. But with the diminishing bison herds, people had to kind to of utilize man-made materials. So more often today, we see teepees ma- being made out of canvas as bison h- hides aren't as easily able to come by anymore. Anyways, my point is that the skirt that wrapped around that teepee Uh, around those poles was a representation of the skirt that the mother would wear, the dress the mother would wear. Um, Again, I know many tribes on a global scale, the women will adorn themselves, their traditional regalia they wear is of that of a dress, of a skirt. And I see a lot of indigenous women reclaiming this teaching as When we wear a skirt, it's to honor our womanhood. As we walk on top of Mother Earth, she recognizes us as a woman as we wear those skirts. So when we attend ceremonies or other things like that, we are asked to wear dresses, to wear skirts, to honor that original teaching. And something I think is very special and is right on track with reconciliation is I see non-Indigenous women also utilizing that skirt teaching when they attend ceremonies and they show that respect to our indigenous teachings and I, I'm very grateful for that and I really appreciate the fact that they are stepping outside their comfort zones to adorn themselves in the traditional way we look at women. So the teepee itself is a representation of the mother of the woman of our first home as the teepee acted as a home. And when we go home, it's our safe places, right? It's our comfort zones. It's where we can relax and be ourselves. And when we go inside the teepee, when we go inside the home, it was like going back inside the mother and being in that safe place of being in her protection inside her womb. And that's why it was the responsibility of the women to take care of the home, uh, to take care of the teepee, the migiwap. And it was also their responsibility to take it down, to set it back up and to travel with. So the cool thing about teepees is they are very easily collapsible, and they're very easy to put back up. And they I like to consider them the first mobile. So we'll take a quick break and we will get back into teachings of indigenous motherhood and kind of metaphors utilized in the technology of the people. to the indigenous connections radio show i'm your host randy lynn and today's conversation is on indigenous womanhood indigenous motherhood as we branch off into the missing and murdered indigenous women's epidemic uh, i would like to call this episode okuma which translates into the boss lady so we are talking about indigenous motherhood and the technologies that were utilized to represent such a beautiful experience. So back when I was working in Saskatchewan, part of my work was to do a technology program and I would go into schools and do these indigenous technology programs. And a lot of time when I asked the students, do you think indigenous people had technologies before contact, they would say no. Because when they think technology they think computers and laptops and iphones and all those kind of technical things but technologies are so much more than that right and the people were very in tune with the earth around them and really embedded a lot of metaphors and understanding and teachings in their, their everyday practices as well as uh, their technologies. so when it came to child rearing Um, when a baby was born they would often create what is called a moss bag. So what a moss bag is, it's a a bag (laughs) that the baby would be placed in. Um, Obviously their head would stick out at the top and what was neat about these moss bags were that unlike swaddling a baby in a blanket, rather these babies were placed in these bags and they were um, threaded with a string or piece of rope and then tie it at the top. So if anyone swaddled a baby in a blanket before, they know that babies can be little escape artists and kind of wiggle and wiggle and wiggle and wiggle and then boom they're free, right? But by tying the baby, by tying that rope at the top, by lacing the moss bag, then the babies can't escape. They're stuck in there. And why do we swaddle our babies? Um, So let's go back to the time we were in the womb. So when we were chilling in our mother's womb, did we have all this room to kind of like have a dance party and chill out and stretch out and do whatever we wanted? Heck no, we were squished right up in there, right? We were just tight little bundles. And uh, we were getting so tight in there that we were literally stretching our mother's stomach out because we were growing inside of her. And then when we leave the comfort and the safety and the protection and that, lovely feeling of being inside the womb, and then coming into this cold physical world. We long to be back in the womb. We long for that safe feeling. So it's been a common practice to swaddle babies to provide them comfort. And uh, even as we get older, those, that, those memories, that inner child in us still longs for that. I know a lot of people, including myself, I, I feel most comfortable when I burrito myself in a blanket, And I know that's because that's what my inner child needs, to feel that connection and that protection of being in the womb again, and it's calming and it's comforting. Uh, Same thing with listening to the drum. So a lot of times before COVID hit, I'd be at a round dance or a powwow, and it'd be late at night, and i see these babies just passed right out on chairs or in their strollers or in their wagons, and it was loud. They would be placed right next to a drum or something, and they'd just be having the best sleep ever. And it's because that drum is so comforting to them. The sound of the drum, that boom, 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 boom. That consistent sound, it's very calming and comforting because it reminds them of the only real consistent sound that they heard inside the womb. And that was literally the pitter-patter of their mother's heartbeat, right? The constant, constant boom of their hearts. And hearing it outside the womb through the drum reminds them of that safe comfortable feeling that place of being in mo- inside mom's womb so moss bags actually got their name because of a long time ago people didn't have huggies and pampers right so that didn't stop babies from doing their business so what the people would do was they would um kind of place moss they would line the Moss bags with moss as a way of being a diaper, and just like changing a diaper, they would change out the moss as needed. And I've actually heard teachings of people uh, going back to utilizing moss on their newborns because it's obviously all natural, and um, there's a lot of chemicals in diapers, and we see a lot of babies experiencing different kinds of rashes and burns from their diapers and all of that, right? So. Um, Moss is a very safe alternative to a diaper. And then the moss bag kind of kept babies in, stuck in a position, kind of gave them that swaddling feeling, all tied up, all n- nice and neat. And babies would actually stay in moss bags till they're three years old. And by the time a baby's three years old, they're able to walk and talk and get in trouble, right? But anyone who's watched a child knows how much they, how much work they are, especially during those years. And the reason why they did this was to teach the children a very important life skill, and that's discipline. How to be still, how to be calm. Uh, you got to remember they didn't have grocery stores to go hit up every time they wanted to eat, right? Uh, food needed to be hunted. It needed to be gathered. And they needed to teach their children how to be still. Uh, how to be still, how to be calm, how to just be okay just being silent. And the moss bag, being tied up in the moss bag for so many years helped develop that part of their brain to be okay being still, being calm. I think that's kind of a life skill many of us lack today as we're so overstimulated by all these devices and distractions, myself included. Um, But these kids needed these skills and able to be able to be good hunters right to feed themselves to feed their families and often these moss bags could be connected to what is referred to as a cradle board so a cradle board is a board that would be placed in the back of the moss bag kind of connected to it tied onto this board and the way these cradle boards were designed is that They could be worn on the back of the women as they worked, or they could be stood up straight up with the babies inside them and kind of leaned on a post or leaned on a tree. And again, the babies could watch their mother's work and see the things that they were doing. And so that when it was their time to learn these skills, they were already watching, they were already learning. And then the babies could be worn on the back of the mothers as... Any person who has a child again knows that even though you have a child, you don't get to go on a vacation and just chill out and not have to worry about nothing, right? There's still so many responsibilities required of you. And insert that idea of superwomen who go to work and take care of families and do all these things in their day, right? So these women would carry their babies on their back to keep them close to them and also have their hands free to... Uh, do chores and take care of responsibilities and take care of their other children and take care of their home. And there was a purpose behind wearing the baby on the back as well. So from a biological sense, when a mother becomes pregnant, the weight gathers in her front, right? And she uh, gains enormous amounts of weight. I don't want to say enormous, Uh, but you know what I mean? She gains quite a she quite, gains quite, I'm gonna just stop, I'm digging myself in a hole here, (laughs) but the baby is starting to gain weight in the front of her, and she starts to kind of lean forward as all this weight is being placed in the front of her, Um, and her body kind of becomes off-centered because she's so used to having all this extra weight in the front, and then once baby's born, that weight is gone, but her body needs to heal and realign itself, so by placing baby in the moss bag and cradle board, and then wearing the baby as a backpack on the back. Uh, She's now transitioning that weight that she had from her pregnancy from the front to the back and this helps her body heal and realign and readjust itself from carrying that weight from the front to the back. So those are just a few examples of uh, indigenous motherhood um, and technologies utilized to help a mother, to help a woman, and to help Install that understanding of how valuable women are to our society, to our existence, right? The Indigenous Connection Show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn, and today we're talking about Ukama Boss Ladies. Um, so we're reviewing the importance, the value the power of women. Many tribes identified as a matriarch society, meaning women were held in very high esteem for that ability to give birth. So understanding how important women are and their work was, a man would often be the one who put himself in front of the woman to protect her from danger. And he would do this as well for his loved ones and his community. So women often walk behind the man and that can often be misinterpretive of the man showing dominance or trying to shame the woman but no it was the exact opposite the man respected the woman so much that he would literally place himself in front of her so that if danger was ever near he would be the first to um, come towards it rather than the woman and she would have time to protect herself so women are powerful by design and in spirit. And in Cree, in the language, it teaches us this. So the, I know I've talked about this before in the Medicine Wheel teachings, but like I said, it's good review. So the word for woman is esqueo. The word for women is esqueowak, And then the wo- word for fire is eskwateo. So there's a teaching that women are the keepers of the fire. And the reality that these words esqueo and isquateo sound so similar isn't by coincidence. And again, it's that embedded in that spirituality, that powerful by design. And let's look at the nature of fire, isquateo. So so fire, what can it do for us? When it's treated properly, when it's shown respect, uh, fire can bring comfort it can warm us up it can cook our food for us right it can we gather around the fire and create a sense of community and belonging um when we disrespect fire it literally has the power to destroy to destroy entire cities to destroy entire civilizations right to take down entire forests the power the power of fire is uncontainable at times so Let's look at women in the same context. Esqueo, esqueo walk. Women, when we're treated properly, we have the power to nurture you, to comfort you, to provide for you, to warm up your food, to bring a sense of belonging and comfort, right? When something goes missing, we're always like, Mom, where is this, right? Our mom's our go-to person. <laughs> or uh, maybe that's grandma, maybe that's auntie. That's special woman in your life. I don't want to limit it to... Just the mother. Um, There's very many special women that present themselves in our lives in one way or another. Uh, Okay, so that woman, she she has so much good embedded in her, but then when that woman feels disrespected, feels dishonored, uh, feels like she's being attacked, or her loved ones are being attacked, my always go-to saying: "Hell no, no fury like a woman's wrath." She literally has the power to destroy as well, right? Again, that's saying, <laughs> I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Um, the temper of a woman, oh, uncontrollable, uncontainable at times, right? Especially when they feel their loved ones are in danger or being victimized or attacked. They will fight and they will fight and they will fight to protect their loved ones. So, Seeing the similarities in the behaviors of fire, and in the behaviors of women in general, we understand that they are very similar, and because of these similarities, there was an understanding that the spirit of the fire burns within each and every single woman, regardless of her age, race, background, beliefs, etc., etc. Every single woman from birth has this fire of the spirit burning inside her, and that is so powerful and that is why women were recognized as the keepers of the fire and i remember when i went to a round dance in prince albert saskatchewan um they part of the protocols to have these kind of social gatherings is that a fire needs to be burning outside and part of my teachings is to offer tobacco to that fire before i go inside to the round dance something my mom taught me Uh, just a way of saying thank you for allowing me to be here to giving back to the spirit of the drum um, and the spirit of the round dance and one of the younger men that was watching the fire he scolded me he's like no woman allowed around the fire and I kind of looked at him crooked and I'm like excuse me and I'm not what we call protocol police. (laughs) We don't try to out-tradition each other. But I, I, I had to explain to him that teaching that, no, women are the original keepers of the fire, and I have every right to be here just as much as you do. And it really opened my eyes to the understanding of how much the patriarch, that masculinity, that toxic masculinity has kind of seeped its way into the culture. So we'll talk about that here in our next conversation. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections radio show. I'm your host, Randy Lin, and today's topic is Okama Esquayo, where we talk about the power of women, um, the roles of motherhood, the power of being a mother, and then we're eventually going to branch off into the missing and murdered Indigenous woman epidemic. So we kind of covered the technologies as well as the metaphors and the historical view of women as indigenous people we do identify as a matriarch society and many tribes actually had women councils and these women councils often needed to be consulted before male leaders could make any major decisions for the people because a woman's um, point of view her understanding and that relationship she had that emotional relationship she had with people, it was highly highly respected, and an understanding that women can kind of see things more whole in a whole perspective rather than the men who kind of think very logically. Um, for I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but for some men, emotional demonstration of the emotions and connecting with that part of themselves is a little bit of a struggle and sometimes it's because they've been groomed like that and sometimes it's just how their brain operates right and there's nothing wrong with it but um, there was an understanding that women had that special connection to their emotions so they could give a more thoughtful insight to decision making. Um, And this demonstrates how much respect was given to the women, as they were often the ones who had the final say. Even with the male leaders, the women had the final say. (laughs) I guess that's kind of how things are at home too now, right? (laughs) I gotta ask my wife first. (laughs) All right, anywho. So let's fast forward to when settlers started coming, migrating to Canada. And with them, they brought their understanding of the patriarchy, okay? And coming to the new world with the their old ideologies, many of the newcomer men would not address the women. Uh, rather, they wanted to speak to the men because they didn't look at the women as equals. Because in their ideologies, their point of view of the patriarch, that women were below them, so no respect was given to indigenous women because of this by the newcomers. And this began the disruption of the established matriarch system indigenous people in Canada United States had held on to for so long. Uh, we see ideologies of the patriarchy being introduced, and we see crimes against women starting to escalate. Um, traditionally, if anyone committed a crime against a woman, there would be severe, severe, severe punishment because of how valuable and important each and every woman was. And now we have these newcomers and kind of taking advantage of the women, um, hurting the women, and showing a blatant disrespect to the woman. And I think of the word squaw. Uh, it's a derogatory form of the word so the newcomers heard the men addressing the native woman, the Cree woman, as a squaw, but due to their accents a lot, a mispronunciation came out, and squaw, and that word squaw for many of us is very, very, very derogatory. Uh, It pretty much translates to me as you Indian B word, a female dog, that very disempowering word that is used towards women and we see a lot of miscommunication a lot of misunderstandings coming from this as well um traditionally women when they bore children the children would follow the female lineage as a matriarch system right where the patriarchy has many of us taking our father's last names and following in that footsteps and today I see a lot of people make jokes about women who choose to um, give their children their last names versus their fathers. And I know for many of them, there's many personal reasons why that is, and I'm not here to judge. But for me, I don't see it as a negative thing, and I definitely don't see it as a joke. I see it as us reclaiming our indigenous womanhood, um, our our rights to our matriarch system, right? It's a form of decolonization and reclaiming our original ways um, as indigenous people. And we see with the residential schools being introduced, we see a lot of the matriarch being forced upon the people that, those ideologies, because these children are taken away from their families at such tender young ages and then forced into these schools that are operated by these systems that are very foreign to them. Um, The matriarch, for example. So these children went from a society, from a family where they viewed women in such high, high respect and esteem to being forced into these very, very cruel settings in these schools where they were punished and tortured and told that women belong below the men. That women, I'm sorry, that men were superior to the women, unfortunately. And this creates a lot of confusion. And I see this confusion kind of bearing itself in the ladies' fancy style dance. So I've had this conversation with you guys when we did our powwow conversation, but I'm going to review it again. So with the development of the men's fancy dance, these were the first dancers to kind of break the rules and start dancing all fancy with this cool footwork and spinning and doing all these cool moves and dancing to really fast song so these men started dancing like this and women were still kind of dancing just by bending their knees and keeping their feet really close to mother earth and dancing really slowly but yet they saw these men doing all this cool new moves and dancing to these awesome fast songs and the women are like you know what we are just as good as those men we can do that too i want to do that And the women actually started wearing men's outfits and going out and dancing like them. And this was earlier 20th century, okay? Kind of give you a timeline about when's this happening. And we've already, as indigenous people, we've already been exposed to the patriarchy. Uh, Residential schools have already taken their toll on our people and the women went out there and started dancing these songs, and, you know, women are supposed to be sacred and protected, yet they were met with oppression. People were literally throwing rocks at them. They were being ostracized. They were being told women do not do that. Women are not allowed to do that. Women should not raise their feet off the ground and spin around, uh, wear this and that. But do you think that stopped the women? Heck no, (laughs) in the history of women. Has a, a woman ever sat down when she was told to? Not really, no. Again, that spirit of that fire burns in us too bright to ever let us sit down when we're told to. <laughs> uh, okay, so these women continue on regardless of being told they were not allowed to. And it's a perfect demonstration of how much the patriarch had influenced the people by this time, that they were willing to throw rocks and disrespect these sacred beings, these life givers, but the women persevered regardless, and this kind of gave birth to our own women's movement in our indigenous for our indigenous people, and they continued on regardless, and they stopped wearing the men's outfits and actually converted back to their traditional regalia of wearing their dresses, and kind of gave birth to what we know now in powo as the ladies fancy dance and this was the first dance to make it okay for women such as myself to lift my feet off the ground when I dance to incorporate contemporary footwork to dance to fast songs they made it okay for people like me to do what I do to enjoy the style of dancing that I dance and I am so grateful for them for doing that but it was really a wake-up call to how much things have kind of got confused and mixed up in translation because of the residential school and because of the patriarch being introduced into Canada by the newcomers. And that's why I wanted to kind of have these conversations so that we could have a background of why women are so important, so special. And it makes you wonder what really, really happened between then and now to make indigenous women kind of become the lowest of the low on the totem pole to become one of the most victimized people in society to be to have such a high rate of our women being assaulted being harassed being victims of crime being abused being murdered being abducted being kidnapped all of those things what happened and it it's such a tragic tragedy Um, But we need to talk about it. We need to talk about this epidemic that Indigenous women face, and that is the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Woman campaign. And it spreads to our children as well. It's not just their women that are going missing, that are becoming victims of crime. It's our children as well. It's our boys and our girls, along with our men. Um, I think that's too much of a heavy topic to kind of start on right now so i think we're going to conclude this conversation and just understanding the power of women and their true roles in society and the respect that they deserve and then we're going to kind of branch off into next week into the decline of indigenous women and the respect shown to them the indigenous connection show Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for this week's session of the Indigenous Connections radio show. As we discuss Okamau Kweo Boss Ladies, Indigenous Womanhood, Indigenous Motherhood, and as promised we are going to branch off into the missing and murdered Indigenous woman epidemic next week. We are going to discuss this from a historical timeline of when the patriarch was first introduced to Indigenous people to modern day times and talk about contemporary stories that affect our society. Um, I personally know many women who have gone missing and have turned up murdered uh, indigenous women so this topic does hit close to home with me uh, as well as many other people. So just to mentally prepare yourself for next week, practice self-care. Next week will be a tough, hard conversation. I most likely will cry. <laughs> well am I kidding? I will probably cry. <laughs> but remember to take care of yourself between then and now and afterwards as well, because these aren't going to be easy stories to tell, but these are important stories. I mean, important topics to talk about as this is our contemporary history, not only for Indigenous people, but our history as Canadians. All right, so have a great week and we will catch up next week. In Cree, there is no word for goodbye, so see you later. And remember, you're important, you matter. And that's the Indigenous Connection show for Lynn. I like to give credit to A Tribe Called Red for their track sisters that we used in our intro.